You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. One of my pet peeves in life is um, slow drivers camping out in the left lane. Have I said that before? Have I said that? Okay. I just, what is that? I don't understand. What really gets me bothered, um, poor Betsy, when we're together, um, is the car in the left lane is going the same speed as the one in the right lane. No one can get by. And they are just, they just got, I mean, you're piling up. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll count, and I've got like, you know, 13, 15 cars behind us, and they just won't move. They won't accelerate. They won't slow down. Nothing, no one can get by. And not too long ago, I was driving up from Mooresville, and um, I was approaching a car in the left lane. You know, so I was going a little faster. Um, granted, I get that. Um, but they're in the left lane, and as you approach a car in the left lane, what, what's your expectation? That they move over. Okay, they move over and let you, get, let you by. They wouldn't do that. What they did do, though, is they got alongside of a car on the right lane, and they camped there. They didn't accelerate. They didn't slow down. They just sat there. And I found myself getting irritated. You know, and, and um, I mean, I was getting really irritated because <laughs> uh, I just couldn't get on. And this is going on for a few miles. You know, so it's going after, you know, for a little bit, I, you know, I can live with it. But when it's going on for mile after mile after mile, and then it's not moving... <laughs> and, and again, this is 77. It's between exits 42 and 45. You know, there's a few bends that are going on in there. And, uh, and I'm getting ready to start flashing my lights, hitting my horn, you know, you know window signals like move over, you know, do something. And um, we come around one of those bends, and sitting right there is a highway patrolman. And he's sitting there with his radar gun pointed right at us. Um, instantly, I know that the driver in front of me just saved me from a speeding ticket. No doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. In that moment, as I thought about the driver ahead of me, I had two very powerful emotions going on inside of me at the very same time. There was a part of me that was just really irritated with this person and wanted to give them what for, and I wanted to yell at them, you know, to move over. At the very same time, I wanted to give them a hug and say thank you. Uh, you know, because uh, that, that would have been an expensive uh, proposition there had you not slowed me down and kept me under the speed limit. Um, that ever happened to you? Maybe not in that exact situation, but you find yourself in a situation where you have these dueling emotions. You're, you're excited but sad or happy, you know, just, you know, that was one of those moments. It's very unsettling when you feel that way. One of the parables of Jesus had that very same effect on his listeners. That, uh, and if, if you recall, we're currently in a series where we're talking about the parables of, of Jesus. And a, a parable is nothing more, it's, it's a fictitious short story that conveys a deeper meaning. It's one of those things when you hear it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I see it. Or you have deeper understanding of something um, that you didn't before. Now, most parables of Jesus were intended to convey a truth about the kingdom of God. Many of his parables start with the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of God is this, or the kingdom of God is that. And, and, uh, and the reason why he did that is because this whole idea of the kingdom of God was new. 
Jesus, it didn't exist before Jesus. And um, he was, that whole idea was, was unknown. And, and Jesus wanted to, to, to let the people know that, listen, because within that, their, their mindset, this, they were expecting a political, military ruler to come in and throw off the Romans and, you know, reinstill, you know, Israel to its glory days. And, and just, no, that's not what this is about. The kingdom of God is very different. Kingdom of God is, is very different. And, and here's the thing. Jesus knew many of his parables confused his listeners. He did. He knew, but he didn't stop. Actually, he continued to do that time and time again. Jesus spoke in parables. One of the things we talked about last week, he spoke in parables not in order to be clear, but as a test to his listeners. He was, as he's talking, you're gonna, he'd probably look out there with people and you'd see some people like, okay, I get it. I see what you're talking about. And I'm sure in others, he saw the blank look like, what in the world are you saying? Typically, it was the religious leaders that had the blank look. Because, they, because what Jesus was saying was contrary to everything that they had been taught and, and they thought about life and a thought about God. Well, the parable we're going to look at today tested pretty much all who heard it. It really was challenging for them. Um, now, the parable we're looking at is in Matthew chapter 20. Now, many Bibles actually title it or give it a heading called The Parable of the Workers in the Vineyard. I think it's actually misnamed, and I'll get to that here in a second. Um, but this parable, this particular parable in Matthew 20 is unique to Matthew. It's not in the other um, gospel accounts. And it comes towards the end of Jesus's ministry. In fact, the very next chapter, Jesus has his triumphal entry, he rides the donkey into Jerusalem, which is actually just some of the later stages of his time here on earth before his crucifixion. So this is at the end of things. Now, this parable also comes at the end in chapter 19, which immediately precedes this, Jesus has that encounter with that rich young ruler. Remember, we've talked about that in the past. And, and he walks away disappointed and sad because he's rich. And, and, they ha- and then Peter and Jesus and the other disciples are having this conversation of, well, who can get into heaven? And Jesus makes this comment about, you know, it's, you know, the first shall be last and the last will be first. And there's this ongoing, this conversation. And Peter actually makes a statement. He says, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What will there then be for us? You know, again, so just trying to understand how do we fit in this bigger picture of things? And it's within that context that Jesus then goes into this particular parable. So Matthew chapter 20, we'll start with verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in the vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. Jesus said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and, go th- and then go on to the first. The workers were, who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those, who <clears throat> so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received the denarius. 
When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour. And they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your word. And in the next few minutes, as we dig a little deeper, open our minds to understand, Father, that we would hear what we need to hear. Holy Spirit, speak to us your truth, that uh, we would be able to um, gather the truth of your kingdom um, in a way that we may not have ever before. Uh, so, Lord, we give this next bit of time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a few things to note about the parable. <clears throat> One, a denarius. I couldn't tell you what, the equiv- what that is in a dollar current dollar month. But a denarius was the, uh, uh, the, the average pay for one day's work. So if you give me an average day of work, you know, here's a denarius. That was, so that, um, what the landowner committed to the early workers at dawn was fair. And that's what, it, you know, so the, 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 we're talking about the various hours. You know, the, we're basically at dawn. We're probably talking 6 a.m. is when the first group was hired. So to give them a denarius, notice it's a 12-hour work day. OSHA was not around back in, the, in that, that time. So, um, so it's a 12-hour workday. And they started, so to give them a denarius for 12 hours of their labor was a fair wage at that point in time. So the landowner goes out and gets people five times during the course of the day. Dawn, and then at the third hour, it's in, it in, in increment. So 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., and then again, 5 p.m., an hour before um, they're actually supposed to stop working. Um, what's interesting is the amount of the wage is mentioned only with the first group. When he's talking to the other groups that, you know, nine, noon, three, and five, he didn't say, hey, go work and I'll give you such and such. He just says, go work and I'll pay you. Um, so again, as Jesus laid out this story, the only time he mentions compensation is with that first, first group, which is critical to the way the story plays out. <clears throat> so when... Um, the expectation then is those who are hearing the story, the expectation is that those who got hired later would receive less because of, of, of they hadn't worked a full day. So the, to the apostles and anyone else who is sitting around listening to Jesus tell the story, everything's normal about the story until he gets to verse 9. So there's nothing unusual about that. The way the whole thing transpired is very normal. But verse 9, where the, we get to the payment to those who worked only one hour. And he says, the workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. Whoa, that shifted everything. Because all of a sudden, the expectation is, is that the ones who started at 6 a.m. got a denarius. I mean, those who came at 5 would get probably, you know, just a pittance. You know, something very, very, very simple, very basic. But when that, they also received a denarius for the full day, for, you know, for something that somebody who worked all day got, what would be your natural reaction? We're all going to get a bump and raise then. I mean, that's just human nature to think, well, if that's this, then proportionately that this should happen as well. So those who are listening to Jesus 
probably had a similar response to what I had with my driver. Um, how about we're instead of feeling this, get out of the way, hey, you know, I love you, um, thank you. Um, their response would have been more, wow, that's really cool. Hey, wait a minute, that's not fair. All these motions simultaneously happening within them. <clears throat> now, it's important to remember that it's not that the all-day workers were underpaid. Their wage was fair. And it's what they had agreed to at the first thing in the morning. It's that the landowner was generous, overly generous, some might say, with some of the workers. And he was only fair with the others. That discrepancy, that contrast made it seem as if he was being unfair then to those who'd been working all day. So at first glance, the focus of the story appears to be about the inequity of the payment. And based on a work payment ratio, it's understandable the all-day workers were bothered because they weren't paid more. But the focus of the story is not about the payment. The focus of the story is about the generosity of the landowner and his vineyard. Remember, the whole parable begins, the kingdom of God is like a landowner who does this. I actually think that, well, in most of your Bibles, it says this is called the parable of the workers in the vineyard. I actually think a more accurate title for this parable might be the parable of the generous employer. So, with that being a little background, a little context for this parable, what might be some takeaways for us uh, as for us today that would help us? I think one takeaway might be this. Everyone, regardless of status, is invited to join God in his kingdom. How many of you enjoy people watching? It's fascinating. You're sitting in an airport at the gate waiting. You're watching people. Or, you know, for me, a lot of times sitting in, um, you know, like in, in college or like a big area or, or uh, a restaurant even or where people are congregating and just watching the interactions of people. It, I, I, I do. I just think it's very fascinating. Have you ever watched someone enter a room? Let's just say a room like this. In fact, I, it, it, it could happen here on a Sunday morning where they don't know anybody who's in there. And their personality is such that they don't, they're not really comfortable just, hey, uh, my name's so-and-so, I'm going to be your friend. You know, they just don't, they're, they're, they're more reserved. And so what do, what do they usually do if they're coming into this kind of a setting or situation? They kind of stand on the side, they'll find a place in the back and kind of keep to themselves. And, and you know, they don't make eye contact. You know, they just... They look really uncomfortable, and I feel really bad for them sometimes. Um, I feel bad for them all the time, but, um, but you get my point. So sometimes just like, you can just tell they're really struggling. Where I really see this, um, this dynamic playing out is, and I noticed this when I did my youth ministry days, um, <clears throat> watching a group of high school kids or even middle school kids where you've got maybe a group of five to ten of them, you know, sitting around the table or just standing and talking, and one other kid kind of comes and joins the group um, to watch their face as they're doing. Now, it, it's clear as, as they're joining that they do not perceive themselves as the alpha member of the group. Okay, so it's not they're walking in there with all this pomp and ceremony like, hey, I'm all it, all it I'm all it, and here I am. It's, they're unsure how to enter the group. They kind of stand to the side, and they'll nod, and they'll kind of like, they'll kind of like, merging traffic, kind of just fit in and, you know, find their place and they, they can be. And here's what, I, here's what I've experienced in my own life. Few things are more discouraging than the feeling 
that you don't fit in. I mean, this is a terrible feeling that I just don't fit. I just don't belong. I, I don't know, and, and I don't know where I do belong. Notice how Jesus describes the last group of the workers. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Notice their answer. Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go, and you can work in my vineyard. They've been there all day, willing to work, just waiting to be hired. The reason why they're not working at 5 o'clock was not because of laziness. It was because they were the workers deemed by the other employers as unworthy. Newsflash. We are the 5 o'clock workers. We are the 5 o'clock workers. We get to be part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Not because of anything we've done to deserve it, but because of the goodness of God's grace. And that's actually the second takeaway, I think, from this parable. The foundation of God's kingdom is grace. The idea of God's grace saturates our 21st century Christian mindset. You know, it's almost like, yeah, 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 grace, I get it. And we talk about it all the time, grace, grace. In fact, I even name our church after it, Grace Covenant. I get it. Grace isn't a big deal, it's important. But, but we forget that prior to Jesus, the concept didn't exist. Within every culture, every religion throughout human history, any hope of an afterlife was wrapped up in the need to earn your salvation. You had to prove yourself worthy. Jesus was trying to help the people understand that in the kingdom of God, things are different. The end-of-day workers did not deserve the payment they received. Their payment was based entirely on the goodwill of the landowner. Listen, if we learn, let's just say there's a discovery tomorrow. I don't know if any Raiders of the Lost Ark fans here, but let's just say they discover, they find the Ark of the Covenant, which is where supposedly the Ten Commandments were kept. And they find the Ark, and they open it up and realize holy smokes, there are actually 12 commandments on here. There's two missing commandments we didn't know about, and there's now 12. And, and I know it's kind of funny or kind of an odd thing, but here's the thing. That'd be really weird, and it would kind of mess with us for a while, but, it, it, you know, or, or let's just, I'll even take another step. Let's just say they can conclusively prove Noah's Ark never happened. It was, it was just a myth. It was just a story, a fable within the culture, and never happened, and Here's my feeling. I'll, I'd be really disappointed with both. Both of those things would really think, but, but I'd survive. And here's the bigger thing. I, I think the Christian faith would survive too. Now, here, I'm not saying those things aren't important. You know, so, so please don't mishear me. What I'm saying here is that the Christian faith would survive and go on. There would be some adjustments and adaptions. Then there'd be a lot of hoopla and people would be, I mean, but over, we would, we'd be okay. We would be able to survive. If you take away the idea of grace, the whole thing collapses. Everything about our faith rests and hinges on this idea of God's grace. In the parable, Jesus wants to make it clear that grace is at God's initiative. He's the one who initiates it too. He, and he actually says to the, to the one man, he says, I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. It's at his initiative. 
nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing that we have or nothing that we can offer God that would make us worthy. It's entirely his initiative. Lastly, um, I think the last takeaway for us is this. Comparison with others will rob us of the joy of God's grace. Uh, Let me me try an experiment here. I have no idea how this is going to go. So, um, think about the house or apartment or wherever. Think about your living accommodations right now. Okay, just in your mind, just think about your your place and where you live. Okay, now, in your mind, think about and compare your house to another house. Any house. Just, just pick a house that you know of, you're aware of, and compare your house to the one, to, to something else. <clears throat> now, how many of you, now I, I would be curious to see your hands, if you're brave enough to actually lift it. How many of you, in your comparison of your house, the one that you thought, other than your house, was actually bigger, newer, brighter, shinier, you know, than the one you currently live in? Well, okay, most of you. How many of you was, it, it was, in your mind, was a smaller, less, okay, if, okay, a few of you, okay? How many of you said, no, it's pretty similar to the house we live in right now, okay? How many of you didn't vote at all? <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, that's how it's a few, so. <clears throat> Most of us actually went, went, I want to say up in scale, um, I don't know what that means. I just was curious to see how, how that works. <laughs> but we tend to do that, don't we? Tend to, when we're looking at our own stuff, we tend to compare it with something somebody else has. And there's always somebody that has something newer, faster, shinier, more powerful. I mean, there's something, and, and it's, it really does tend to mess with us sometimes. Um, in 2008, I had a chance to um, go to Rwanda. The church we worked with at the time was involved in some microfinance projects. And uh, we visited one of the vi- villages there outside of Kigali. And, um, and there we were, uh, there actually, the, the village there was uh, having a, a, a home dedication. One of the, one of the women was dedicating um, her house. And uh, so this is Catherine there with a thing on her head holding the baby. Um, and that's her mom in the front. And she's standing in front of her new house. And uh, so uh, Catherine was uh, a widow, uh, three children. So this is her third child. She has two older kids. Um, her husband um, gave her HIV before he passed away. The same, he died of AIDS, and, which was very common um, 15, 20 years ago, what was, what was happening there. Um, you know, so let me see the next picture. So that's her house. Everyone is celebrating her house. I'm like, really? Not much to get excited about, is it? I mean, there is no running water. There is nothing, and it is there, and there's, I think there's, inside there's one or two rooms separated with some other brick, you know, kind of clay brick walls. And I, I honestly, I, 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 mean, I was happy that they were happy, but I didn't get the happiness until someone took me around the back and they showed me where she used to live. Three kids. And that's what she, it was, it was literally, that, that's, this area up here in front is the cooking area. So right there is a little shelf or a little thing where they can do the cooking. And there literally was just a, a bed inside that room. Um, and so you can see it, uh, 
You when you compare? Okay, now I get why everyone's excited. But there's something about us that we, we, we like to compare ourselves with what others have. And, and I, here's the thing. I think it's a, that's a universal human trait. I don't think there's any, I don't think that's something that, I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think that's a universal way because that's how we assess, I mean, that's, that's how we understand context. Well, I mean, how, do, how does my, whatever I have, is it, is it good, bad, or indifferent? Well, I don't know that unless I have a standard or basis. You know, so the fact that we do that, I don't necessarily know it's bad, but here's the problem. It can, it can really rob you of the joy of God's grace. And that's the problem. The idea that we compare up or down on certain things, I don't, it, it, it's just, I don't, usually when we go up is when we realize we lose the joy of what we have and we miss out. Rarely, in my mind, you know, I'm comparing, you know, the, you know, the big house and it's got all the new bells and whistles and things and I, I never would have conceived of comparing my house to Catherine's house. I say, okay, yeah, you know, God, I got it pretty good. And then I actually feel guilty because of how good, how good, how good we have it. <clears throat> if Jesus gave the latecomers one denarius, why didn't he give the all-day workers more? Now, here's a, it's just a story. I mean, he can give them any, I mean, it's, he's, there's no real cost to anything. So if you gave, if he was generous, why not be generous with everybody? Why generous with some and not with others? Not that he wasn't unfair, but not that he wasn't fair. I mean, it's just a story. Why not make everybody happy in the story? And now when I realize that the story, I kind of had to reflect about what was Jesus doing? Was he trying to convey? The story is not about fairness. It's not about justice. It's, it's similar in the guy, remember the story of the prodigal son? How many of you read that story and it's like, man, I, I kind of identify with the older brother. That's just not fair. But really, that's not the point of the story. Um, and also remember that that younger son only was welcomed as long as the father was alive because everything now belonged to his older brother. He was there as a guest. That would never change. So there was justice in that situation there. But that wasn't the point of the story. The point of the story was the, the father, the father and his joy when his younger son returned. This story has the same thing. It's not about what's happening here. It's happening with, it's about the, the landowner and his generosity. Peter's question back to Jesus in, in the previous chapter suggested the disciples still had a works merit paradigm when it comes to the kingdom of God that somehow they had to earn it, that somehow they had to win God's favor in order to, to receive his promises. I think the reason why Jesus created a discrepancy in the story is reflected in verse 16, the very last verse. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So I think there was probably some religious leaders around there or some other people who just were thinking, I'm pretty good. I got my act together. When it comes to the hierarchy of things, I'm at the top and, you know, we're feeling a little self-righteous and I think Jesus wanted them to, to feel a little uncomfortable. Those who think they can earn the way into the kingdom of God will be very disappointed. Money and status are irrelevant to God. 
He offers his love and grace and mercy equally to all. Like the end of the day workers in this parable, God has made his grace available to us and offered us entry into his kingdom even though we don't deserve it. Even though we don't deserve it. And for me, that is fantastic news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this parable. And I thank you, Lord God, that your grace is available to us and that, uh, Father, all of us, if we're really honest, uh, we, 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 we can come to you. We have a restored relationship with you because you acted, because you took that step. All we have to do is receive your goodness and your grace. I'm so thankful for your grace. Lord, that um, it's just amazing that you welcome us into your kingdom. It has nothing to do with our accomplishments. It has nothing to do with our past. You don't look at all the faults. You don't look at the shortcomings. You see us with love. And so, Lord, I ask that if there's any here today who might be struggling with that, that uh, just really come to terms and accepting that you love them unconditionally, that you welcome them in with open arms, with no preconditions. Lord, if they're struggling with that, I pray that you would, right now, that your Holy Spirit would just wrap them, wrap them in love, and that they would be able to accept that once and for all and release the bondage that is uh, keeping them tied up feeling guilty for, for their past. And Lord, for those of us who uh, maybe are feeling a little better than maybe we should, maybe we're, maybe we're feeling a little, spiritually we're feeling a little, um, maybe we're feeling a little cocky. But Lord God, may this be a reminder to us that it's not about us. It's not what we've accomplished. It's, it's, it's not even how many hours a week we serve and give ourselves where, how much money we give. It's really, it's still all about you and your grace. So God, thank you. Thank you for the way you work in our lives. I'm thankful that you make your grace available to each of us. And uh, Lord, I ask that in the days ahead that we would continue to walk in that grace. And Lord, that we would treat others and respond to others in a way that reflects the grace that we've received. Lord, we uh, just want to commit all these things to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.